what a joy uh, it is for me to be able to speak to you, uh, Freedom Village, especially as you have recently merged and, uh, and then the coronavirus happened. Uh, there's a lot I know that Pastor James has anticipated for this time, but like all things, uh, like, like many things, uh, things don't go according to plan. Um, so uh, I was asked to uh, preach on this time as well about just the situation that we're in. And my hope is that this word does give you uh, some guidance and hope in these uncertain times. So let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you are still on your throne. Even as every day so much happens all around the world, as we see the number of infections increase, the number of deaths increase, there's so many questions that we have. So God, we look to you, and we ask you, God, that you would speak a word that would stay, a word that would shape our hearts, that our eyes would be lifted up back to you through this time. In Jesus' name, amen. It is uh, really uncertain times that we live in. Uh, just even two weeks ago, as I addressed uh, this issue uh, to a few churches, uh, even since then, so much has happened, where uh, about a month ago, everything was on the incline here in Korea of all the infections and deaths. And then two weeks passes, it seems like Korea is starting to get a, getting a, get a control of it, but then the numbers spike all around the world. Uh, today, as uh, I preach, uh, the numbers in the U.S. just surpassed the numbers here in Korea. And all my friends in the U.S. are concerned, all my pastor friends in America are trying to figure out what to do. And as you hear this, so much more even may have happened since this recording. But the hope is that regardless of what is happening outside, regardless of what's happening and the stats with the coronavirus, my hope is that you would see that the Word of God truly is here to stay. The Word of God is here uh, to speak to us, to address this time, really asking us, what's the hope that we have? Where is the hope that is underlying? So as we read in 1 Peter 1, 1 to 12, it's Peter. And Peter, the apostle, addresses uh, these believers who are dispersed in modern-day Turkey. And as they're dispersed, he addresses this, the people reminding them that he's speaking with the authority that he has as an apostle. So in verse 1, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, reminding them that these are not just words that are encouraging. Uh, these are words that will help you understand that this has weight. And as he greets uh, these believers, he calls them elect exiles. And that's very interesting to note. Because it's not a common address in a letter, right? Uh, usually it would be to the brothers, right? To the believers in this area. But the way in which uh, Peter addresses it, he says, to the elect exiles of the dispersion. Because they are dispersed, he is acknowledging you are exiles. But in that, what he's also saying is that you are elect. And this is what you would call uh, a paradox. It's, a, it's an oxymoron, if you will. An oxymoron is, are two words that are uh, seemingly contradicting, 
but nuance to make a clearer point, like act naturally, right? Act naturally is an oxymoron. How do you act naturally? It's an oxymoron. Uh, clearly misunderstood is an oxymoron. Seriously funny is an oxymoron. Elect exiles is an oxymoron, right? It's paradoxical in nature. Two words put together to communicate a clearer message, a clearer point, which is you are, uh, you are elect, you are chosen, but you are exiles. You're chosen by God, but you are exiles of the world. And that's what these believers were struggling with. It has a connotation of a resident alien. You're never truly at home. You don't have the benefits of being a citizen. You are a, you're chosen by God, but you are exiles here in this world. And what you have to understand as a believer in God is that there's always a paradoxical nature with blessing, with the Christian life. It's not simply God is good and life is good. It's often God is good, but this world is hard. It's paradoxical in nature. And if you don't know this, you will always be tempted to trust in the hopes of this world. If you don't understand that your your blessings are paradoxical in nature, you'll always be tempted to hope in the hope and value, value the values of this world. It's this constant uh, underlying emotion when you're an outsider because you'll always want to be an insider because the blessings as a Christian are always paradoxical in nature. You see this idea, this feeling of being an outsider. Uh, You've all experienced it as a believer or not as a believer, right? Uh, If you're ever picked last, you know that struggle, right? That struggle of being picked last. It's like, oh, I don't want to be the last one picked. It's that feeling when you see your friends on Instagram from that past weekend and you realize you never got that phone call. It's that feeling of being an outsider. And that's that feeling that we will have perpetually here in this world. What's so interesting is through this season, as the coronavirus has now spread to basically uh, every country, right? What's being tested is for the common man. Now, how do you feel when you are an outsider? Because what's also happening is as the coronavirus spreads, it's actually asking you, what do you put your hope in? It's actually revealing to us our hope. Basically, as the virus spreads, it's one gigantic experiment in one sense. As a society, as a people, as a nation, what do you put your hope in? Do you put it in your health? Do you put it in your finances as the, as the stock market and the economy is now very much in question? Do we put our hope in our jobs, our promotion, our company, whatever it is? And just to remind you, this is not just the past month, two months. This is actually something that we've always struggled with, but now it's just on a massive scale. Uh, here in Korea, you would have noticed this if you were uh, teaching here. Uh, just uh, this past uh, year, or two years ago, in 2018, there was a recent uh, life satisfaction study. 
asking uh, teenagers and children here in Korea uh, if they are satisfied uh, with life here. And this is the good news. The good news is this. Uh, South Korean children and teenagers are more satisfied with their lives than before. So it's great. More so than the past decade or so, children are happier in 2018 than the previous year. That's the good news. The bad news? They're still the most unhappy uh, people amongst the OECD developed countries. It reveals to you that though this virus is now on a massive scale and we're all kind of questioning what do we put our hope in, it's just a couple of years ago people were struggling with this on a different level. So much so here in this nation here in Korea, uh, uh, an author Michael Green, who's a former reporter for the Washington Post, The Guardian, actually says this about, their, about Christianity and religion here in Korea, saying the mission for today's religion in Korea, or the next one, is to address the question of happiness. That if a religion, if a church cannot actually address the issue of happiness, hope then there is no longing, no answer that that religion can have for the people. And so for us, there's a lot that we would have to say to that. There's so much that we would have to say to that in which that God has answered that desire for longing. He's given us a reason to hope. He's given us a reason to be grateful. And so as we all in this day and age are searching for hope, the question then is, Where do we find that hope? The source of hope. Where do we find this hope? To know that he is the hope. Look with me in verse 3. It says that blessed be the God and the Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then listen to these words. Listen to how it's described to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying we all long for hope, we all long for this joy, and then he tells us how to have it. And notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say for you to find hope and joy. He doesn't say God will bring you back home. Do you notice that? These are dispersed people. They're exiles. What they long for is home. What they long for is comfort. That's what they want. So much so that Peter even addresses it in the first verse, right? First verses of you are elect exiles. He understands their longing. But then he doesn't say, well, God will bring you home. He doesn't say that. What he says is he leads them to a living hope. Because everything else then, what Peter would say, is a dying hope. That there's only one hope to have. It's it's when you hope in him, it's a living hope. And all other things that we hope hope in, it's all dying. That's what he would say. To long to go back home is a dying hope. Because if you were to go back home, even home itself won't satisfy the craving and satisfaction that you have in your own heart. But that would also then mean, uh, Peter doesn't say, is when suffering ends. 
in the midst of persecution. He doesn't say hope in that, but so often we do, right? So often our encouragement to somebody is just press on a little bit longer and God will give you what you want. And what Peter is saying is no, no, no. Not God will give you what you want. God will give you what you need because everything else is a dying hope. Do you see? This is radically different than the world. The world will try to encourage you. Do better. Try harder. Keep up that attitude and God will give you that thing or you will be able to achieve that, right? Don't change that attitude. Keep that attitude. But what that does is it's still leading them to a false hope. And Peter does not want to do that because Peter has a bigger picture in mind. Because if you were to give people misguidance, leading them to a false slash dying hope, what that means is that they don't see the big picture and all they're doing is guiding people on a road that leads nowhere. They're encouraging them to build a home that will never be built. And Peter knows. Peter knows that struggle. So he is saying, don't put your hope in a dying hope. So instead, where the world will, try, will encourage you to, to continue to hope, what, what Peter does is not just strengthen your heart, he actually addresses how to change your heart. And that's the key. That's the key to this passage. It's not simply saying continue to hope, persevere, push on. He's not saying that. What he is saying is no, the, your whole heart, what you hope and long for, that needs to be addressed. Because if you don't address that, it'll always be a dying hope. He, cha- he addresses your heart's values. And you continue, as you read on, what you see is it it reveals to you the living hope leads to a living joy. Right, verse 3, as it talks about you're born again to a living hope. In verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, that that's your job to believe, guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, in this you rejoice. Do you see that? In this you rejoice. This hope that the people have, it's not just in the future. Yes, it's a future hope, but it's also a present hope. It's a living hope And that's why it's also a present joy. In this you rejoice. Right now with all that's going on, the way in which you you can tell what you put your hope in is whether or not you have present day joy. Because there's so much affected, is is there not? Our jobs are impacted. Our lifestyle is impacted. Our finances are impacted. But as all of this is impacted, The question is, what have you really put your hope in? Because a living hope leads to present-day living joy. But a dying hope leads to a dying joy. And I think that's what we see all around the world. I think as we see the news, and as we see the hysteria, I think you're starting to see what our societies have been built on. 
Just uh, last week, I was talking to a friend of mine in the Philadelphia area. And that's when uh, the infections were spreading just a little bit in Philly. And his children were, you would usually take uh, public, trans- public transportation uh, to school. But he said he needed to start to pick them up and drop them off. Why? Because there was, there were, there was xenophobic attacks to them. Because of xenophobia, because of racism, these children that were innocent, that didn't have this infection, were now the cause of this. You see what's happening as you see how frail our society is, how fragile our body is, what we're starting to see is how in such small and subtle ways how our societies are built on a hope that can't stand. Why do you think xenophobia, racism, hatred, hoarding, why do you think this exists in our lifetime? It's because of this. It's because our hope is threatened. It's when our joy is threatened. And when that ultimate hope that we have, when that is threatened, everything else then becomes an enemy. Jonathan Edwards spoke on this idea many years ago, and Pastor Tim Keller nuances this, nuances this and he says it in this way. If our highest goal in life is the good of our family, then we will tend to care less for other families. If our highest goal is the good of our nation, tribe, or race, then we will tend to be racist or nationalistic. If our ultimate goal in life is our own individual happiness, then we will put our own economic power and int- our, our own economic and power interests ahead of those of others. Edwards concludes that, th- that only if God is our summon bonum, our ultimate good and life center, will we find our heart drawn out not only to people of all families and races and classes, but to the whole world in general. Do you see that? What Edwards so clearly points out, it's not that people are aiming to be racist or filled with hatred. It's that we turn and become people who start to have those tendencies when this ultimate good is then put in question. The way that we see it is, even with, this, uh, with the virus spreading, as our bodies are something that we hoped in, now when something threatens it, that becomes an enemy. So whether it's racism, or xenophobia. You start to realize how in those small little ways, once you elevate yourself so much higher than others and you put your hope in your health and your body, everything else quickly becomes an enemy. Right? We see this uh, throughout all cultures. All cultures have their own values. In our culture here in Korea, what you see is education being a primary source of hope. But what happens when you put uh, education, education as a primary source of hope? Everything else becomes an enemy. And so a parent who has education as an ultimate goal for their family, quickly, quietly, their child becomes an enemy. And you, may, you may feel like, oh, that, those are pretty strong words. But that's not what 
a child may think. Even uh, in, in an article in the New York Times about the, the South Korean education system, this author writes this about what he's learned about the harm education can do to a child in South Korea. When I asked a class if they were happy in this, in this environment, one girl hesitantly raised her hand to tell me that she would only be happy if her mother was gone. Did you hear that? She would only be happy if her mother was gone because all her mother knew was how to nag her about academic performance. You see, to us as a parent, we want the best for our kids. But once we start to elevate that goal of education, that college, whatever it would be, that child, though in our eyes is not an enemy, we love them, they start to feel like that. And so for this child, they felt like their mom would only nag and wish if the mom was gone. This is what happens throughout, throughout history. Once you put your nation above every other nation, everything else becomes an enemy. And that's what we're seeing very, very clearly in this, in this nation. As this virus has taken this world by storm, we're starting to see what we have put our hope in. It's a road that leads to nowhere, nowhere building a house that will never be built. So this is a time for us, even as the people of God, to really ask ourselves, what do we put our hope in? What do we put our hope in? It is Christ that we must put our hope in. And as you put your hope in Christ and the inheritance that he gives, which will be undefiled, unfading, it's that hope, when you start to have this hope, It'll be beautiful others. There's a power in this hope. And I want you to see this, this power that you would have in verse 6. In this, you rejoice, right? You have this present-day joy regardless of the circumstances you're in. That's the power of it. In this, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So it's paradoxical in nature, there is a joy, but yet a grieving, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? One, you can rejoice. Even though there is grieving, you can still present day have, have this rejoicing. But in verse 7, it says, through these trials, your, 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 your faith is tested so that it would all the more become genuine. Do you see? It's again very, very different than this world. Where when, when you have a hope in this world, everything else that's a threat to it is an enemy. But you see, with God, the hope that you have in him, everything else is now a source. Do you hear that? It's a source for that hope to be tested and refined. And so in this time that we are in, what God is doing in our hearts, it's, it's testing our faith so that we would once again rethink, reevaluate, what do I put my hope in? What do we as a, as a society put our hope in? Because it's this hope that truly gives you this present-day joy. 
And as we continue on, the most beautiful part of all of this is the idea that, that Peter has for you. It's not simply, okay, now think harder, have better faith. It's not simply now notice theology and get it into your head. That's not what Peter is getting at. Peter is now going to address how you can have this present-day living hope. Because this living hope, it's not a living theology, it's a living person. And once you start to understand that this, everything that's described here, it's not just uh, theoretical, it's practical, it's personable. It's in the person of Christ. In verse 8, though you have not seen him, so quickly then he changes again to, to remind the people, you believe this, not because it's a theology, not just because I'm teaching it. No, God is here. God has been a person in the person of Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Rejoicing with joy. Emphatic, right? Rejoicing, rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Do you see that? It's a present-day joy because a present-day hope because Christ is present here. So even as you listen to this in your living room, to be encouraged, Christ is there. That's why you can hope. That's why you can have faith. Not because your faith and that resolve is so strong. The question really is, how can you not hope when Jesus is present? How can you not hope knowing that Jesus left heaven? entered into this broken world, right? The image is Jesus, the ultimate insider, where there was no sin, he leaves heaven's place, enters into this broken world, a world filled with broken people, outsiders, and it's in this world he lives a life that we couldn't live. He dies a death that we should have died on that cross, and on that cross, by his death, he gives us life. Do you see that? And when Jesus resurrects, that's the good news. Because that's the final statement. Saying, there's a living hope. There's a living joy. Because Jesus is alive. You see, the heart, heartbeat of hope never dies because Jesus still speaks. The heartbeat of hope, the reason you can have hope is because Jesus still comforts. The heartbeat of hope never dies because Jesus is here and he is present and he is working in so many ways that you cannot see. And so though we see the numbers increase, have hope because Jesus is present. And because Jesus is present and he is working, it's for us now to have faith and to obey. And it's because Jesus is alive, we can now show the world what it looks like to have a hope when this hope is indestructible. When everything else, when we put our hope in things that are going to die, that will die, our education, our reputation, our, ba our bank account, when we put our hope in those things, everything else, everything else becomes an enemy. We, be, we become people that we don't want to become. 
But when you see that it's Jesus is the true answer, when, the, when he is your hope, you start to show the people all around the world what it looks like to have a hope that's indestructible, this living hope. This is the tradition, the history, the legacy that you are a part of. Their church has always thrived in these times. This is why you have faith, because someone else risked their life. Maybe not that person that shared the faith with you, but maybe in a previous generation. Because people who have always seen Christ have kept that living hope, willing to risk their life so that the gospel will continue to go forward. That's why the gospel is here in Korea. It's missionaries that risk their lives to come here into Korea to share this faith about this living hope. You see, many missionaries of other religions have come here into Korea. But the Protestant history is different. And Michael, Michael Breen, a non-believer, talks about the history of religion in his book, The New Koreans. And even him, even he is able to notice how the Protestant history was altogether different. Where they reached the people of high society, but they also reached the people of the lower class. The victimized, right? The marginalized, the marginalized, the sick, the impoverished. And one of the stories that he talks about is how the gospel moved forth here in this nation because a missionary was seen crying over a victim of cholera, a very infectious disease. And the, and, the, and the question that people had was, how can this missionary risk being infected for this person who had already passed? And in that you see clearly, for that missionary, it wasn't about that person. It wasn't even about their body. Because their hope is not in this present world, it's in the next. That person, that missionary loved that, that, that person who was sick and who had died. And in that, it was a powerful statement of what do you really put your hope in. Churches throughout the world are stepping up, and it's a huge encouragement to see that. Even in Wuhan, China, there's stories upon stories of what the church is doing uh, over there, where people are risking their lives to care for others. Uh, One church uh, talks about how their, their church is not very big, about 100 people, But with the people who were sick or quarantined, what they would do is putting on protective gear so that they they themselves would hopefully not get infected, but also in hopes to not infect others, they would put on this gear, protective gear, and regularly they would go out delivering meals, delivering masks, uh, sprays for sanitizing, uh, Chinese medicine. In all these ways, what they would do is they would risk their lives. And in that, what the people are seeing in China is a little bit of this hope of what it looks like to put your hope in a hope that doesn't fade, that doesn't die, that lives forever. And encouragement for you is the same. Hopefully, the numbers will continue to decrease here in Korea. But it doesn't mean that for us it's over, our work. It's a call to pray, to love, to give. And in that, may we be a bright light in this very, very dark time in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you 
that we have a true, a living, a present hope. Because that hope is in you, a true, present, living king. We know that in this time there's so much darkness, so many stories of people's greed. But God, may we be reminded deeply of how you came into this world, letting us outsiders be insiders, giving us a living hope. And may we, the church, demonstrate that courageous faith and love. And may we, through our prayers, through messages, through acts of love, may we demonstrate that to the world. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.